This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Welcome back, my little book nerds. I hope you had a safe and relaxing holiday weekend. And while we're still a few weeks away from the official first day of summer, I know many folks, especially those with kids or in the education field, are wrapping up or just wrapped up their school years. So here's to an awesome summer filled with lots of good books and lots of reading. Speaking of books, today I have reviews of Disha Bowe's Dirty Laundry, Curtis Sittenfeld's Romantic Comedy, and Lucy Gilmore's The Lonely Hearts Book Club. I will deliver all of these thoughts while sipping on a nice sparkling rosé, which I'm hoping might help me ignore these stupid allergies that are bothering me today. Now, before jumping into the reviews, let's take a look at all of the good books that released this week, or at least a good portion of them. I don't feel I can claim to have a complete list, even though I've scoured Goodreads and a couple of book blogs to get a nice, mostly comprehensive list. First on the list is A Little Ray of Sunshine by Kristen Higgins. Part of the synopsis reads, A kid walks into your bookstore and guess what? He's your son. The one you put up for adoption 18 years ago. The one you never told anyone about. Surprise! Next up is All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby. Titus Crown is the first black sheriff in the history of Charon County. A year to the day after his election, a school shooting rocks the town. A beloved teacher is killed by a former student, and as Titus attempts to de-escalate and get the boy to surrender, his deputies fire a fatal shot. In the investigation, it becomes clear that the student they shot had been abused by the dead teacher, as well as by unidentified perpetrators. The trail leads to buried bodies and secrets. That sounds really good. Next is Always Isn't Forever by J.C. Cervantes. Best friends and soulmates since they were kids, Hart, Augusto, and Ruby Armenta were poised to take on senior year together. Then Hart tragically drowns in a boating accident. Absolutely shattered, Ruby struggles to move on from the person she knows was her forever love. Then we have At the Speed of Lies by Cindy L. Otis. A young adult mystery about an influencer who gets involved in looking for two kids who are kidnapped from a nearby town. Then we have Cross Down by James Patterson and Brendan Dubois. This is an Alex Cross novel. When military-style attacks erupt, brutally sidelining Cross, Samson is sent reeling. Don't trust anyone. Then we have Dark Hearts by James L. Sutter. Dark Hearts is a hilarious, heartfelt novel about fame, romance, and what happens when the two collide. Then we have Double Decker Dreams by Lindsay McMillan. American consultant Kat is staffed on a six-month project in London and has two very small, very reasonable ambitions before returning home. Get promoted to partner and fall in love with a handsome English aristocrat. Next is Girls and Their Horses by Eliza Jane Brazier. Or Brazier? Brazier? Mm, I don't know. B-R-A-Z-I-E-R. 
The synopsis reads, Set in the glamorous, competitive world of show jumping, a novel about the girls who ride, their cutthroat mothers, and a suspicious death at a horse show. It's like dance moms with horses. Next is Good as Gold by Candace Buford. Fans of Netflix's Outer Banks will devour this contemporary YA novel with a propulsive mystery about one girl's search for her town's legendary sunken treasure in order to clear her family's name and save her future. Then we have Lady Tan, Circle of Women by Lisa C. It's inspired by the true story of a woman physician from 15th century China. Then we have Love Letters for Joy by Melissa C. Less than a year away from graduation, 17-year-old Joy is too busy overachieving to be worried about relationships. She's determined to be Caldwell Prep's first disabled valedictorian, and she only has one person to beat, her academic rival, Nathaniel. Then we have Page Boy by Elliot Page. This is a groundbreaking coming-of-age memoir from the Academy Award-nominated actor Elliot Page. Then we have Ride or Die by Gail Agnes Muscavanu. Oh, shit. M-U-S-I-K-A-V-A-N-H-U. This adrenaline-packed joyride of a debut is an ode to Gen Z and teens who love chaos. Then we have Same Time Next Summer by Annabelle Monahan. The ultimate summer nostalgia read about an engaged woman who comes face-to-face with her first love, who she hasn't seen in 14 years, but who she spent every summer with from age 5 to 17 when he broke her heart, calling into question everything she thought she knew about their love story and herself. Next is Some Shall Break by Ellie Marnie. This sequel to the New York Times bestselling None Shall Sleep is an equally electrifying, chilling thriller that brings us back into the lives of junior FBI consultants Travis Bell and Emma Lewis, with a new case that may unravel everything they've been working for. Next is Something More by Jackie Khalili, K-H-A-L-I-L-I-E-H. This is a contemporary teen romance novel featuring a Palestinian-Canadian girl trying to hide her autism diagnosis while navigating her first year of high school. Then we have Starring Adele Astaire by Eliza Knight. Eliza Knight returns with a story full of glitz and glam as she delves into the life of Adele Astaire, a spirited and talented woman who served up smiles and love both on and off the stage, with and without her also famous brother, Fred Astaire. Then we have The Bookshop by the Bay by Pamela Kelly. Two lifelong friends, one bookshop by the beach, and the summer that could change everything. Then we have The Broken Hearts Club by Susan Bishop Crispell or Crispell, when the perpetually single daughter of a magical matchmaker reconnects with the boy she's pretended to be in a relationship with for over a year, she may finally have met her match. Then we have The Chaperone by M. Hendricks. Like every young woman in New America, Stella knows the rules. Deflect attention, abstain from sin, navigate the world with care, give obedience, embrace purity, respect your chaperone. Next is The Do's and Donuts of Love by Adiba Jagir. Oh, God. J A I G I R D A R. I apologize, y'all. I am horrible with pronouncing names. Please don't be offended. This book finds a teenage girl competing in a televised baking competition with contestants including her ex girlfriend and a potential new crush. Then we have The Library of Broken Worlds by Aaliyah Dawn Johnson. A girl matches wits with a war god in this kaleidoscopic epic tale of oppression and the cost of peace, where stories hide within other stories and narrative has the power to heal or to burn everything in its path. Then we have The Paris Daughter by Kristen Harmel, a gripping historical novel about two mothers who must make unthinkable choices in the face of the Nazi occupation. Then we have The Queens of New York by E.L. Shen, a sun-drenched cinematic YA novel about three Asian-American girls, their unbreakable bond, and one life-changing summer. 
Then we have The Radcliffe Ladies Reading Club by Julia Bryan Thomas, a poignant historical fiction that reminds us that literature has the power to speak to everyone uniquely, but also to draw us together. Then we have The Whispers by Ashley Adrain, a propulsive page-turner about four families whose lives are changed when the unthinkable happens, and what is lost when we give in to our own worst impulses. Next is The Wind Knows My Name by Isabel Alande, this powerful and moving novel from the New York Times bestselling author of A Long Petal of the Sea weaves together past and present, tracing the ripple effects of war and immigration on one child in Europe in 1938 and another in the United States in 2019. Next is Things I'll Never Say by Cassandra Newbold. This beautifully raw coming-of-age story follows by fat surfer girl Casey who turns to journaling to navigate what it means to crush on your two best friends at the same time. And last on the list is Unfortunately Yours by Tessa Bailey, the hilarious follow-up to Secretly Yours in which a down-on-her-luck Napa heiress suggests a mutually beneficial marriage of convenience to a man she can't stand, only to discover there's a fine line between love and hate. Alright, that was a really long list this week. I pre-ordered All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby, The Whispers by Ashley Adrain, and Things I'll Never Say by Cassandra Newbold. This week, I also purchased Seven Dirty Secrets by Natalie D. Richards, The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher, How to Stop Time by Matt Haig, The Authenticity Project by Claire Pooley, and Someone Had to Do It by Amber and Danielle Brown. To my watch list, which is my I haven't bought it, but I'm keeping an eye on it list, I added The Library of Broken Worlds by Alea Don Johnson, The Paris Daughter by Kristen Harmel, The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls by Anissa Gray, Maybe Next Time by Seska Major, and The Maid by Nita Prose. I'm going to kick off today's reviews with the juicy suburban thriller Dirty Laundry by Disha Bose. Dirty Laundry was first published on April 4th, 2023 by Ballantine Books and was the Good Morning America book club pick that same month. The synopsis reads, Kiera Dumphy has it all, a loving husband, well-behaved children, and a beautiful home. Her circle of friends in their small Irish village go to her for tips about mothering, style, and influencer success. A picture-perfect life is easy money on Instagram, but behind the filters, reality is less polished. Enter Mishti Gua, Kiara's best friend. Kiara welcomed Mishti into her inner circle for being, unlike the other mothers in the group. But discontent in a marriage arranged for her through her parents back in Calcutta, Mishti now raises her young daughter in a country that is too cold among the children of her new friends who look nothing like her. She just wants what Kiara has, the ease with which she moves through the world, and in that sense, Mishti might be exactly like the other mothers. And there's Earth Mother Lauren Doyle, born, bred, and the butt of jokes in their village. With her disheveled partner and children who run naked in the yard, they're mostly a happy lot, though unsurprisingly ostracized for being the singular dysfunction in Kiara's immaculate world. When Lauren finds an unlikely ally in Mishti, she decides that her days of ridicule are over. Then, Kiara is found murdered in her own pristine home, and the house of cards she's worked so hard to build comes crumbling down. Everyone seems to have something to gain from Kiara's death, so if they don't want the blame, it may be the perfect time to air their enemy's dirty laundry. In this dazzling debut novel, Disha Bose revolutionizes age-old ideas of love and deceit. What ensues is the delicious unspooling of a group of women desperate to preserve themselves. I used to love the TV show Desperate Housewives. When I read the summary of this book, I immediately thought of that show, and I'm happy to say I was not disappointed in what I found on the pages of this book. 
it was a really fun read. I loved getting inside the heads of these characters as we worked toward figuring out who killed Kira Dumphy, the queen bee of the neighborhood. In the first two chapters of the book, we meet Kira Dumphy, a supposedly perfect woman, happily married and the mother of two. Her husband makes really good money and Kiera is a very well-known Instagram influencer. Every woman in the village is happy to know her and hang on her every word. Everyone, that is, except Lauren Doyle. In the first chapter, it is made perfectly clear that Kiera has no time for Lauren Doyle in her life. She thinks she's a bully, she thinks she's a pariah. In fact, I was convinced after reading the first chapter that Lauren was a total skankbag, and I'd never even met her. Like the women of the neighborhood, I too was under Kiara's influence. But then in chapter 2, we get a good look at Lauren, her partner Henry, and their three kids. Lauren isn't the heinous bitch that Kiara makes her out to be. In fact, she seems more my speed. She's earthy, she's a great mom, she works her ass off trying to take care of her kids and her deadbeat long-term partner Henry, who hasn't held down a job since he closed his bookshop several years ago. By the end of chapter two, Kiara is dead. Lauren finds her and we're left wondering how exactly did Kiara die? We then flash back a few weeks when Kiara is still alive and kicking and we get a closer look at what happened before the death. We also get a deeper look at another major player in the events, Misty Guha. Misty is an immigrant from Calcutta. She and her husband from an arranged marriage and their daughter also live in the neighborhood and Kiara, for some reason, decided that Misty was going to be her BFF. Misty's daughter, Maya, and Kiara's bratty daughter are besties forever, which helps keep Kiara and Misty close, but then it soon becomes apparent that maybe Kiara is more interested in Misty's husband. We also learn that Kiara really doesn't like her kids, and she despises her husband. They're all just pawns in her game, and she uses them to make her followers adore her. We also learn that Kiara is screwing around with another man from the neighborhood, and before we know it, we have several potential folks who all would have had a motive for killing Kiara. The book is very well written, it keeps you guessing the entire time. All of the characters are fully fleshed out, and honestly, I was never 100% sure who did it. Not until the very satisfying end. If you are a fan of Desperate Housewives, if you like a good, juicy suburban mystery, I would highly recommend this one. I gave it four out of five stars on Goodreads. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll dive into the next book. All right, next on my list is Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. This book was first published by Random House on April 4th, 2023, and was Reese's Book Club pick that same month. The synopsis reads, Sally Miles is a sketch writer for The Night Owls, the late night live comedy show that airs each Saturday. With a couple of heartbreaks under her belt, she's long abandoned the search for love, settling instead for the occasional hookup, career success, and a close relationship with her stepfather to round out a satisfying life. But when Sally's friend and fellow writer Danny Horst begins dating Annabelle, a glamorous actor who guest hosted the show, he joins the not-so-exclusive group of talented but average-looking and even dorky men at the show, and in society at large, who've gotten romantically involved with incredibly beautiful and accomplished women. Sally channels her annoyance into a sketch called The Danny Horst Rule, poking fun at his phenomenon while underscoring how unlikely it is that the reverse would ever happen for a woman. Enter Noah Brewster 
a pop music sensation with a reputation for dating models, who signed on as both host and musical guest for this week's show. Dazzled by his charms, Sally hits it off with Noah instantly, and as they collaborate on one sketch after another, she begins to wonder whether there might actually be sparks flying. But this isn't a romantic comedy, it's real life. And in real life, someone like him would never date someone like her, right? With her keen observations and trademark ability to bring complex women to life on the page, Sittenfeld explores the neurosis-inducing and heart-fluttering wonder of love, while slyly dissecting the social rituals of romance and gender relations in the modern age. Now, I know I've said this before. I'll say it again in the event we have some new listeners joining us for the first time today. Cutesy romances aren't typically my jam. I like some grit. Meet cutes and friends to lovers tropes really do nothing for me unless it's a Hallmark Christmas movie. In that case, I can watch that shit all day. But in a book, it's not usually my thing. So why did you even bother reading this one, you might ask? Well, my New Year's resolution this year was to read every one of Reese's book club picks. And then every month I would also pick another book from one of the big book clubs like Read With Jenna, Good Morning America, or Oprah. So when I saw this was the pick for April, I wasn't super thrilled, but I decided to give it a shot. I might be pleasantly surprised. I didn't have super high expectations, but the summary implied it intends to break the mold. And maybe it did. I just wasn't into it enough to really care. I tried, but in the end, it just wasn't my jam. Now, the book is comprised of only three chapters and an epilogue. The first chapter is separated into days and times and takes place over the course of one week in the life of Sally Miles, a writer for the sketch comedy show The Night Owls, so think something like Saturday Night Live. Over the course of the week, we get a play-by-play of a week in the show from pitching sketches to drafting, polishing, rehearsing, and then performing the show. During this particular week, Sally meets Noah Brewster, a very prolific pop rock artist who is acting as both the host and the musical guest. As the synopsis tells us, Sally writes a sketch which looks at an issue, or at least an issue to Sally, that mediocre men on the show tend to land these really hot women. Case in point, one of her best friends and writing partners on the show recently got engaged to a gorgeous woman who was recently a guest on the show. She feels like this never would have happened to a plain Jane woman because famous men only date models. But then she meets Noah, and she finds herself charmed by him. But despite feeling as though the feelings might be mutual, she says something to mess it all up at the cast party and the two go their separate ways. But then two years later, during the pandemic, Noah reaches out via email, which sets off chapter two, which is a collection of email exchanges between Sally and Noah. Then the third chapter and the epilogue are all about Sally and Noah dating and what happens with their relationship. While I liked how the book was structured, and it was fun to see the behind the scenes of how a show like Saturday Night Live is pulled off, I didn't ever fully connect with either of our main characters. They felt a little flat and one-dimensional to me. There was little to no growth across the entire book. I honestly didn't care whether or not they ended up together. I also felt like there was a lot of telling in the first chapter of the book, and to an extent even in the third chapter. Also, a lot of the emails written in the second chapter were so frickin' long. Part of me was thinking, girl, just pick up the damn phone and call him already. He's never going to read this epic novel of an email. Maybe I'm just speaking from myself personally because I hate long emails. Short, succinct, bullet points, give it to me that way. When it came to the supporting characters, I liked them way more than I liked either Sally or Noah. I was honestly more invested in their relationships and I wanted to know more about them and what was going on with them. 
Now, I know a lot of people are loving this one. I'm obviously in the minority here. It's not you, it's me. I guess I'm just not that into it. I gave this one two out of five stars on Goodreads. Time to start wrapping things up. My last review of the day is Lucy Gilmore's The Lonely Hearts Book Club. This book was first published on March 28, 2023 by Sourcebooks. The synopsis reads, Sloan Parker lives a small, contained life as a librarian in her small, contained town. She never thinks of herself as lonely, but still she looks forward to that time every day when old curmudgeon Arthur McLaughlin comes to browse the shelves and cheerfully insult her. Their sparring is such a highlight of Sloane's day that when Arthur doesn't show up one morning, she's instantly concerned. And then another day passes. And another. Anxious, Sloane tracks the old man down, only to discover him all but bedridden, and desperately struggling to hide how happy he is to see her. Wanting to bring more cheer into Arthur's gloomy life, Sloane creates an impromptu book club. Slowly, the lonely misfits of their sleepy town begin to find each other, and in their book club, find the joy of unlikely friendship. Because as it turns out, Everyone has a special book in their heart, and a reason to get lost, and eventually found within the pages. This was a book that I bought on a whim. I hadn't heard much about it, but the synopsis caught my attention, so I decided to give it a try. And while it didn't completely blow me away or give me all the feels that I expected, it was still a very sweet and enjoyable read. Now, this review does contain a few minor spoilers pertaining to the overall plot, nothing major, but if you want to go in completely blind, you may want to skip this one and come back next week. So the book starts off from the point of view of Sloane Parker, a friendly librarian from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Sloane lives her life under the radar. We learn early on that she's engaged to a chiropractor and his family have taken her under their wing. It's not that Sloane is an orphan, it's just that she doesn't have the best relationship with her parents. They have a very volatile relationship, and Sloane and her sister spent a lot of their time escaping into books while their parents screamed and threw things at one another. Sloane's sister died when she was eight, and after that, Sloane has moved through life in such a way that she never really grew close to anyone. It's not that she's standoffish or unlikable, she just kind of quiet and does her own thing. When Sloane runs into Arthur McLaughlin one day in the library where she works, he quickly insults her. What he doesn't expect is that Sloane is pretty much unfazed by his cantankerous behavior, and she stands her own against him. We eventually learn that Arthur used to be an English professor at a local college. He's a widower, and everyone at the library is scared to death of him. Everyone, that is, except for Sloane. When Arthur doesn't show up at the library for a few days in a row, Sloane breaks the number one rule. Never look up a patron's address and go to their house. But she can't help herself. She's worried. At first, she plans to just do a drive-by. But when she arrives and hears Arthur screaming, and then sends a person who appears to be a nurse running out of his house, she can't help but go in and check on him. Arthur has had a medical emergency, and he's run off all the home health aides that have been sent his way. Despite his refusal, Sloane insists on staying with him, and since she broke the library rules, she ends up losing her job. Since Sloane has all this time on her hands now, she goes over and visits Arthur every day. While doing this, she meets his neighbor, Maisie, from across the street. Maisie is a single mother longing to connect more with her teenage daughter, whom she barely sees on weekends, and even then, her daughter wants to spend all of her time with her friends. Sloane also meets Greg, Arthur's estranged grandson. Greg made his mother a promise before she died that he had tried to form a relationship with Arthur, but Greg has no idea where to start. Sloane, Arthur, Maisie, Greg, and Sloane's co-worker, Theo, eventually come together and form a book club. They start by reading Remains of the Day, 
then the Joy Luck Club, and finally Anne of Green Gables, which holds a special place in both Sloane and Arthur's hearts. The book is divided into sections and told from the first-person point of view of each of our book club members. We start with Sloane, then Maisie, followed by Theo, then Greg, then Arthur, and then back to Sloane. I really liked this setup because it gave us a chance to learn more about the characters and their pasts, their hopes, their dreams, and their worries. All of our characters are missing something in their life, and I loved how their little book club brought them close and helped them realize not only what they were missing, but also what they had in each other and what their lives could be. The book focuses on themes of self-worth, loneliness, love, the bond between mother and child, friendships, and most of all, the way books can bring us all together. At a time when certain idiots are doing all they can to ban books, this one was a nice little reminder of the healing power of books and how a shared love of a story can bring people together. This one was definitely a love letter to book nerds like you and me. It was a sweet read full of a lot of really likable characters, and while I liked all of them, I think Maisie may have been my favorite. Overall, the book wasn't world-changing by any means, but I did really enjoy it. I gave it four stars on Goodreads, and that was rounded up from my personal rating of about three and a half stars. Thanks for joining me today. Now, just a quick reminder that we have a couple of other podcasts in the Literally Everything family. On Tuesdays, Conrad Monez and Aaron Stallings host Here's Drinking With You, Kid, where each week they watch and share their thoughts on one of the American Film Institute's top 100 films of all time. Then on Wednesdays, Aaron and I host Back Where We Belong, which is a full-on nostalgia podcast for Gen Xers and those who love us. Each week, we pick a movie from the 70s, 80s, or 90s, sometimes the early 2000s, and then rewatch the movie, discuss it, as well as all things pop culture from the date the movie was released. It's a really good time. I hope to see you next week for what I call the House episode, where I share my thoughts on House of Cotton by Monica Brashears, A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher, and The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. Have a great week. 